This podcast is a publication of the Engineering Management Institute, where we are committed to building professional development systems, including project management and people leadership programs that support the growth of engineers and their firms. Download our AE Industry Trends Report for insights on the great resignation, remote work productivity, and people-centric cultures. To get your copy, visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. Welcome to this episode of the Structural Engineering Channel, a podcast focused on helping structural engineering professionals stay up to date on technical trends in the field and to help them succeed in their careers and lives. In this episode, Rachel and I will be talking with Mark Robertson, a project manager at Wiki Herfs Maver or WHM, about structural engineering, mass timber projects, and the future of this building material. We'll also discuss some of the challenges and opportunities of using mass timber in construction, and Mark will share his insights on how to make mass timber projects more cost-effective and sustainable. I'm your co-host, Matt Picardle. And I'm your co-host, Rachel Holland. So let's jump into the conversation this week. Hey, Mark. Thanks for coming on. Again, appreciate you coming on and uh, talking about Mass Timber with us. Could you give our listeners a brief overview of what you do on a daily basis and how you got into the world of structural engineering and Mass Timber? I'm a structural consultant in buildings, so I don't touch bridges or any vehicle traffic structures. It's all buildings, mainly residential, commercial buildings, schools, things like that. I got into timber quite early on because I was at school, had a pretty good prof for timber, and uh, I got a scholarship, an industrial scholarship with a company. So an industrial scholarship is the school or the government pays part of the scholarship and the other part gets paid by the industry. And in this case, I partnered up with a company called Structure Craft. They are uh, kind of a specialist in unique heavy timber building construction. They did the Richmond speed skating oval. I did that with them. And uh, my research was for a project that they did in Washington, DC, which was the project involved three existing performing arts theaters. And they put this 50 foot tall curved slanted glass facade around that was supported by a wood structure. And uh, my research was on how that structure works and testing the connections for it at UBC. You know, I did analytical models and also physical testing. And I was in the shop at UBC at night, you know, grinding stuff for welds and actually making the specimens was a lot of work. It was also a lot of fun. So I did that and that kind of got me in the door with StructureCraft. And they were at that time related to FastNF, uh, which is a consulting firm, also structural. And those two were linked together. So I I got in with that firm. I worked there for a number of years. And funnily enough, that was the first project I worked with them on was that what I did the research for. And uh, as I was leaving, that was the last project for me to work on was it was finishing off. So it's kind of a full circle thing. Curious about that scholarship that you mentioned. It sounds pretty intense. And is that like undergrad thing or was that graduate school? Oh, that was graduate school. Yeah, it was a master's of applied science postgraduate degree. 
Mastiver has kind of gotten like all this, it's been kind of like all the rage lately. We have a lot of listeners that are like newer engineers or sort of fresh out of school. Do you want to go ahead and just like give them sort of a background of what it is and maybe like in your opinion, why it's becoming so popular in terms of like a construction material? I think the key to mass timber is the development of the product called CLT, which is a simple way to think about it is it's jumbo plywood. So it's plywood or sheets that are about three quarter to an inch thick. Sometimes CLT, you're getting up to four to even 10 inches thick panels. And it's made by gluing two by fours together, but crossing them in different directions. So it makes for a very stable panel that can be dropped into place and that forms your floor. The key to that it is fire resistance. So traditionally, like lightwood frame, when you want to make a fire, you want to use small elements that will catch fire. If you put a big log on the fire and try and light it, you'll never get it lit. It won't burn. So that's kind of uh, how mass timber works. Like if there is a fire in the building, they've done experiments. They've seen the fire put itself out and not burn right the way through the the mass timber. So there is a resistance of these larger sections of wood to fire. So what that's unlocked is historically wood is prohibited in, in buildings and cities of certain sizes or for certain uses like commercial uh, for schools because of that fire issue. But when mass timber and CLT came into the market and the research about the fire properties became apparent, now these buildings can be made out of wood, which is really exciting for the construction industry and also for global warming because you can avoid using carbon intensive materials like concrete and replace it with wood on these bigger buildings. I didn't realize that that was one of the reasons that it kind of caught traction was because of that. I didn't realize that, but it makes sense. With the fire, I think the general public would be, uh, should we be building things out of wood if they're going to catch on fire? With mass timber, it seems like the way they get around that in terms of the fires is like your analogy of putting the, a huge log on a campfire. It's not going to burn. And if it does, it seems like they're 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 big and chunky enough that they have they meet the fire rating requirements of the building code since they're allowed to, to do that now. Yeah, that's like something uh, in terms of yeah when the public brings it up because I'm pretty sure they'd bring it up. It's like okay, we got these tests and this is how it works. So, like you were saying, it makes that char layer like that sacrificial char layer. I've seen some photos, so yeah, it seems like that's one of the things. Yeah, exactly. So technically, it starts to burn and and the char forms on the outside. And that the material that char is, is uh, acts like an insulation. So it keeps the inner part of the wood cooler and prevents further burning. And you also mentioned sustainability uh, in terms of, you know, I know sustainability, there's a lot of, especially in North, the US at least, you know, there's a lot of firms committing to the more sustainability, I think it was the 2030 Act, where we're going to reduce our carbon footprint in the structural engineering industry. How does mass timber contribute to that aspect? I don't know if the general public understands this fully, but in the forest, the trees, eventually they're going to die. The trees are going to fall down. When they start decaying, they release their carbon back into the atmosphere. And so that's adding to the carbon in the atmosphere. 
by harvesting the trees and building mass timber products, we can lock in that carbon into our buildings and prevent it from going up in, in, into the atmosphere. We're also offsetting more carbon intensive products like concrete or steel by using wood instead of those materials. So there's that as well, which is a benefit. Using mass timbers is very effective in reducing carbon in buildings. You teach some courses at a couple of institutions. And what are some of the key like principles or techniques that you emphasize when you're educating like the next set of engineers? I mean, obviously you have to teach the whole structural like, you know, safety in terms of like it doing what it needs to do in terms of like the building. But like, I feel like most people I know that are young these days, they're really focused on sustainability. So like how much of it that you teach do you focus on that versus like the structural aspect? I guess what's the phrase for that? You have to uh, walk before you can run. So you have to learn basically the fundamentals first of statics. That's quite involved teaching that. So that's really the focus in school is learning, you know, how to make buildings stand up. And then once you're, you're kind of in the higher level grades or levels of at school, that's when you can start talking about choosing materials that are sustainable and approaches for that. When I was going through school, certainly there wasn't very much focus on that in school. It's pretty common. I was disagreeing. It's not taught a lot. That... You didn't have a lot of sustainability either, not in your education? It was mainly about statics. And at least in my school, we had some design classes, but I know some courses are really theoretical as well in uh, most schools. So in the courses that you teach, Mark, are you more focused on like the structural stuff? Is that where your area kind of lies? Yeah, it's pretty much. I teach uh, two different scenarios. One is I, I teach like an introductory structural design course at BCIT. That's really the walking before you can run course. And then I also teach part-time. It's through the Structural Engineers Association of BC. They put on like a series of courses for practicing engineers. So those are the courses where you're running. I teach it actually with a couple of other uh, consultants that we team up and, and teach that course. But it's an uh, uh, introduction to heavy timber construction and design. Most people going to the course already, they're going there because they understand the sustainability issues and that wood is sustainable. There's nothing really we can teach there other than use wood in your projects. When you're teaching those courses to the SEABC and you're talking about mass timber, what are a few of the principles and things like that that you really focus on with those other consultants that are running? The course is open to people who don't have much experience with wood. So we really want to start with the basics of the material of wood and how it behaves. So focusing on its properties, its strengths, its weaknesses. It's an organic material. So in certain directions, it's very strong. Perpendicular to the grain, it's very squishy. It's also prone to shrinking and swelling when exposed to moisture. So you have to think about that in your detailing of, of the structures. So we go through all that in the course. Yeah, and you mentioned that uh, Olympic Oval in, in Richmond, BC, and I know you've also worked on the Virtuoso. I think that was the first private multifamily residential building using CLT in Canada. Can you share some of uh, what were some of the challenges and some of the insights you learned from those projects? I know they're pretty uh, 
big projects or unique projects. Uh, I'm sure there were a lot of challenges. The Richmond Oval was very unique project. I don't know if I'll see another one quite like that again. My involvement was mainly with there were these panels uh, that were made from at the time pine beetle infestation was really a big in the news. There were a lot of trees dying, and so they were wanting to harvest pine beetle wood in particular. There were these panels that are basically constructed from pine beetle two by four wood, and they're spanning for forty feet. So you're not going to span 40 feet with a two by four <laughs> typically. So um, what we did was we created, we kind of spliced them together in this arch, which was a very unique shape. And it ended up having some acoustical benefits as well, but it was essentially a tied arch with a tie rod. And uh, this was fabricated by structure craft. It was very much an accelerated research and design process where we design, we test, things would fail learn from it, redesign, test, and then move forward once it was showing that it was working well. That was a very interesting project in that sense, uh, very innovative. Talking about uh, Virtuoso, that was the largest scale that I've used CLT with before. We've done some work with CLT, but not uh, not very much on that scale. Structure LAM is a CLT supplier, and they had just it was a fairly new product for them. We got the latest information from them with the the layups and the properties of the CLT panels that they had. And uh, we had to do quite a bit of background research on vibration and making sure that works. In terms of that project, it was all encapsulated. There's no exposed wood. So in terms of like fire protection, it was not any different than any other light wood frame building. It just had that benefit of CLT. Personally, it was a bit of a learning curve for myself because my first time or one of my first buildings that was a six-story light wood frame as well. Virtuoso is essentially a six-story residential building. The walls were stud frame and floors, instead of regular eye joists, we replaced it with CLT panels. And that was just to accelerate the construction, which it did. It was It went in quite quickly. So just the floor systems and then everything else stud frame. Yeah. For our listeners that don't know what these buildings are, they're big enough where you can just Google it. And I think they're worth the Google. I know like for the oval Olympic one, it looks pretty cool. It, it's when I see some pictures of it, you can imagine a stadium that's essentially has CLT or mass timber as the arches, as the roof. How big is that span? Do you remember? Like, that span is massive. I was talking about the panel spanning 40 feet. So that's between two major arches. And I believe those were 300 feet span. They were huge. Yeah. And the Virtuoso one, that's pretty cool too. It's with the unique. I know something that you couldn't do with typical conventional life frame wood is, like you were mentioning, it was really curvy. And yeah, that makes sense if you go with CLT because that framing would be a pain if you're trying to do that out of a, a light frame. So that's pretty cool. Both of those obviously like pretty innovative or cutting edge ways of building. What else have you seen emerge in terms of like just in our field in structural engineering, mass timber construction specifically? What technologies or or other things have you seen kind of come about? There's a variety of other mass timber products that I don't know if they've got the same popularity as CLT or they're maybe in their infancy a little bit. 
There's products like Fine Line, which is constructed more like plywood, but it, to a higher quality and also much thicker. So it's m- much thinner laminations of wood to build up these large sections as opposed to using two by fours. Give us some examples, like instead of two by fours, like how thin are they and then how thick are they making them? The laminations would be a couple millimeters thick, like an eighth of an inch, roughly. And then how thick will they get up overall? And they'll build them up into, you know, similar to CLT, uh, they'll be four to anywhere to 10 inches thick. They also call it MPP, mass plywood panel, I think, something like that. And uh, there's also another product coming on, which is a micro CLT, which is somewhere in between the two. It's got three quarter inch or three eighths of an inch thick boards. So they're just a lot thinner to build up the sections with. And there's some interesting things you can do like uh, with those panels. And also people are getting into curving them. So you could get a a curved CLT almost. So that should be interesting. The other thing that's really exploded is uh, the development with screws. I'm not sure many people know about to engineers, it's very useful. There's companies, you know, producing really high strength screws. They can come like in lengths of the supplier showed us one that was like three feet long. Simpsons definitely expanded on the screws at department, and it's crazy. Like at workshops and stuff, you hold up some of those screws, and people are like, "That's a screw! Like that's crazy!" Yeah. <laughs> And uh, with those screws, some of these suppliers are producing technical papers on how to use them, which is really well received by the industry. So things like if you notch a beam, you can now, instead of saying, oh, no, that's that beam ha- it isn't going to work if it's notched like that, it's going to split. You can put screws in and reinforce it. Kind of like you reinforce concrete with rebar, you can do the same thing with these screws into wood, which is takes care of some of the, the weaknesses of wood. Like tension perpendicular to grain is a, a weak property of wood, and you can reinforce it with these screws. Since it is becoming more popular for uh, new structural engineers, they're probably going to get put on it, and they probably didn't take you know mass timber classes in school. What are some of the major differences in terms of uh, for a first time engineer like that they might miss or common mistakes that they should uh, look out for when they're in their first mass timber project? I mentioned. Understanding the material properties, if you were to just have a column and sit the CLT on top of it and then land another column on top and go 12 stories tall, you're going to squish that CLT because it's perpendicular to grain. So you need to really understand the properties of that wood and design another way to avoid loading the CLT in, in the wrong way. Also thinking about shrinkage, so like details that don't unnecessarily restrict the shrinkage allow it to happen so that you know something doesn't start splitting when it tries to shrink yeah those are good points i know the shrinkage for when i first started off uh seeing some examples when of uh typical connections that that don't that's something that yeah i remember as a new engineer i didn't think about i was like oh it does matter where how you place those bolted connections so thanks for bringing me back to my memories yeah yeah with what more is not necessarily better like filling it with a whole bunch of bolts that could be a bad idea being aware of like the wood properties right and how to make it work for that material what about in terms of like the cost effectiveness right so if you're building with mass timber 
how do you balance like the cost effectiveness versus still having it be, you know, meeting all the safety and durability and everything that you need with a structure? What's your advice on that? The cost effectiveness of uh, mass timber is directly proportional to the volume of wood fiber that is going into these products. And the majority of the volume of wood comes from the panels themselves. So if you can do whatever you can to get those panels as thin as you can comfortably, that's what you should do. There's plenty of span tables for CLT, but I recommend making sure you really understand what's behind those and knowing when you can push a little bit further to make, so say you're not quite able to get a five-ply panel to work, do a little bit of research, see if you can get it to work with first principles and designing it. Because those span, like for an example, uh, the span tables assume two span continuous. Sometimes I can push the spans a little bit further by making them three span continuous. And it can help a little bit with the vibration. So things like that. If you're just on the edge, try and make it work as much as it can. Don't just stop at the catalog and say, oh no, we got to go up to a seven ply panel. So do you find that you end up actually like calcing all of these more often than actually like using the tables that are provided? I definitely use the tables more often. It's just in those... When you're close. Yeah, when you're close and it's that one-off location in the building that's going to drive everything, then that's when you really want to spend a little more time on it, try and get it to work. And Mark, what do you see for as the future of the mass timber in the construction industry, maybe in the next, I don't know, 25 years? Do you see any trends or developments that engineers and contractors should be aware of? I'm pretty sure we're going to see taller buildings uh, as we move forward. We're approved to go to 12 stories, and we're going to see a lot more of those buildings go up in the next few years. There will always be people that are able to push it taller with going outside of the building code, but those will be a little less common. (laughs) But I think what's going to be exciting is to see a lot more of these buildings take away the concrete buildings and replace them with wood buildings, especially in residential. When you say kind of go beyond the code, I mean, that's still relatively new in the code, right? So it's still everything in the code is always being like revised and moved forward or whatever. But I mean, this area, it's going to grow a lot still, like in terms of the code. Some of the listeners that we have, if they wanted to learn a little bit more, I know I just took an AWC uh, CEU thing online for talking about the fire resistance for mass timber. But besides that, like if you were to have any suggestions for additional resources or educational opportunities, what would you recommend for people that are looking to learn more about this and maybe get a little bit more involved? There's definitely a lot of good design guides out there. There's in Canada and Vancouver, there's Horn Tech has got a bunch of publications on the mass timber. There's a mass timber design guide produced by the CLT supplier. Structure Lamp has a few brochures as well. There's also, I mentioned the SCABC courses, but that's very specific to Vancouver. There's probably equivalents to those courses in other parts of the, in both the US and Canada and other provinces and states. So, I'd be looking out for those. There's also uh, the screw suppliers. Those I mentioned those technical guides. Those are extremely valuable and they can enable you to do a lot of things with wood by using those screws. I know for students, especially if they're new, I think I've seen some where they, they struggle with maybe some of the 3D visualization stuff. 
And I don't know if you've seen any resources, but are there any like uh, drawing plans or 3D models that students can look at? I know, I think AISC does it for like the Steel Institute. They have like sample buildings. I, I just figured that'd be really helpful to, because a lot of the time students, they don't know. So we can just show them like, hey, here's how everything comes together. And um, here are the parts. Here's that CLT panel. You can actually see it. And then they can go look at some plans because a lot of the times they have a lot of trouble, you know, even figuring out what plans are. I don't know if we have that yet. It would be cool. I don't know if we have that kind of thing established yet because there is a lot of development happening. But like seeing presentations from consultants and architects, I can't believe I didn't mention it, but like the wood conferences definitely go to those. Like there's the one in Oregon every year, Mass Timber Conference there. That's worth seeing. You can see them present the building. They'll show you drawings usually in those presentations. So you can actually visualize the drawing and relate it to the real thing because they've got photos as well. Those you can learn a, a, a large amount from. We've got Woodworks here in Canada that puts on conferences. Those are great. Thanks so much, Mark, for joining us and answering our questions. Uh, yeah, really great to talk to you today. All right, thanks. I hope you enjoyed the episode today. We would love to hear your feedback, comments, and or questions. To leave them, please visit the structuralengineeringchannel.com. There you'll find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, as well as any links to any of the resources or websites that we mentioned. Don't forget to subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Until next time, we wish you the best in all of your structural engineering endeavors. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to download the latest version of our AE Industry Trends Report to get answers to the questions that you want to ask your staff, but you may be afraid to do so. How long will the great resignation last? How long should you allow employees to work remotely? And how are successful firms using data to grow sustainably for the long term? You can learn the answers to these questions and more by downloading the report at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org.